keep Rayman Digital on the air through 2020 by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank, the Mandalorian edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and you're joining us here on Rain Man Digital, the most geek-tastic network of all. You can find our shows, past and present, just search Star Wars from the Back to Tank on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. I'm in the studio today with my co-host... And cohort, David Sabal. Hello. And so it begins. Yes, indeed. All right. So here we are getting ready to discuss and break down chapter seven, The Reckoning. And I am really looking forward to this week's discussion because we received an episode that's worthy. Yeah, David, worthy. Chapter seven has brought everything together. The table had been set. All episodes have led to this moment, which is a nice little treat when you look back and see everything they've been working towards. Sometimes you just got to be patient, right, Dave? Patient? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, now we we get to really see John Favreau's writing coming full circle. You know, we were very hesitant about his his work up to this fo- up to this point, especially yeah. after being followed up by Filoni and his crew. And how they knocked it out of the park. And then you compare, <laughs> compared yeah. the work. But this episode, I don't know, dude. I mean, I know I said, like, that last episode was my favorite of the season. Yeah. You this just, is really good. You just can't decide, can I you? I can't. Not not after this episode. This episode had so much going on. It yeah. was really fun. And it took it, it took, like, turns I wasn't expecting. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. I I didn't really know what to expect up to this point just because the show has not really been what I had expected it to be. And maybe that's a good thing. Only time will tell. And I know, you know, something that we Star Wars fans are not known for is patience. patience. We're not. <laughs> no. We aren't. We're And we're very fickle. Sometimes we celebrate things we shouldn't celebrate. You know, and sometimes we love things that maybe we shouldn't love. Love. Exactly. You know, we're a very abused love. We're just weird. (laughs) Let's just say it like that. I think that's the only way you can call it. Call it how I see it. That's what I do. All right. So all of our lead characters teamed up for what looks to be an epic showdown. This is essentially part one 
of a two-part season finale that will end this epic first season of Star Wars The Mandalorian. Uh, we got a couple death scenes, or so it would seem. Quill was shot. Oh, dude, that was that was an intense scene. Yeah. Like, um, I wasn't expecting them to go there. Do you think he's dead? I think... Uh, do you, Just from where what we saw, yes, I think he is. Or do you think the baby Yoda will heal him? Oh, I mean, you, that's an interesting point. Do we really want to see a character like Quill already die so early on, just when he was starting to become a part of the team? Because that's one thing I got really excited about seeing, that the team came together. Yes. You had all the, the big heavy hitters, the p- characters they have introduced, and we had said that. I believe two or three episodes ago, we had said, I'm wondering if they're going to bring them all together because all the promo posters had them together. Yes. And it wasn't just for promo shots. There were scenes that looked like they were a team. Like that's how it was being promoted. It was being promoted as a team that consisted of the Mandalorian, uh, Cara Dune, IG-11, and of course, um, Karga and Quill. So I'm like, okay, well, this is the team, but we never really got that. We got separate stories with each of them having their own time in various episodes. I mean, I think we can both agree that IG-11 is probably going to join the team. I mean, look how he keeps staring and looking around like something's whirling around in his brain. brain. Yeah, and we're going to get to that in a moment because a lot of people were wondering why they had spent a, they called it an unreasonable amount of time on IG-11's reprogramming, but there's a reason behind that. And I, I'm going to need, I'm going to need your Uber star Wars knowledge when it comes to IG units to verify whether or not my memory is serving me well. Okay. Yes. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, the client was killed by his own people. That, that was one of the twists. I'm like, what the hell? That was epic, Dave. I did like it, but I was also a little disappointed that um, Herzog is gone. Herzog's gone. But, man, that his performance in this episode really was one of my favorites. You one think of my they favorite were, bright spots in this episode. Essentially, they filmed every single one of his scenes in one setting. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's pretty much when it comes down to it. You're looking at maybe one day of shooting. For everything he did. For everything he did. Yeah. And, and the amazing part, all that stuff he did was just, you know, stellar. I mean, nothing, there was nothing wrong with any of the scenes that he was ever in. Like, Werner Herzog has like this, this charisma when he speaks, and especially when he speaks. Yeah, he's good. Because he he like grabs the audience's attention and basically makes you pay attention to him. Yeah. I was a little disappointed, but it did serve. He did serve his purpose. He did serve a purpose, which was obviously to get to Giancarlo's Moff Gideon, which we did see. I mean, he's great. And we, oh, we're going we're to dedicate an entire segment to him in a second. And the child has been taken captive, David. Yeah. What's going to happen? I find myself conflicted and not wanting to watch sometimes because you're afraid aren't you I- i'm afraid that he's gonna get hurt <laughs> it's like those movies where they use a dog or a cat and you don't want the dog or cat to get hurt and you get mad when mean people are trying to abuse the dog or the cat or someone shoots a bear that's everyone's friend in a movie or the deers you know get shot and they're a part of this person's family 
I'm a I'm an animal person. So anytime animals are hurt, it just bothers me. And now you throw the child in there and suddenly I just get angry. I'm like, he fell down when the Ugnot got shot. Oh, that's rude. Dude, That I, I like the, the funny part. I like you brought that up because like, especially after last episode where we saw uh, the comedian Bill Burr, where he was playing around with the with the baby and yeah. the child. Yeah. I, I I saw an interview of his afterwards and he said he got so much hate mail from fans because he, they said, how dare you abuse that child? Unhand him. Unhand he was like going, it wasn't real. <laughs> it's real to us. And you will quickly learn this. And I'm like going, it's amazing how how the fans have gravitated towards the child. Dude, I love the child when he's walking in, in, into the... He's walking into the uh, bar where Cara Dune was at this week, and he's just behind the Mandalorian, just walking real slow. Yeah, his own little strut. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I love it. I fucking love it. I know. I shouldn't love it this much, and I do. Well, the beautiful thing about this episode, and especially in the last couple episodes, they found the perfect harmony of giving us scenes of the child and then kind of making sure not to put them in the wrong spot. You know what I mean? Like in in the first couple of episodes we covered, they're going a little too heavy handed with the child where he's constantly everywhere. Yeah. He's following the Mandalorian walking through the forest behind him. It doesn't yeah. make sense. But the I think, last I think of- we're getting adjusted to it. I think that's all it is. I think it's kind of a, I think it, I don't want to call it an eyesore. I'm not quite sure what the wording would be. It's just something we're not used to seeing. So because we're not used to seeing it, we're like, oh, I don't know if that's right. Well, that's why this episode, I thought it was a brilliant idea to put him back in the crib. Yeah, that's much better. I do agree with that. It was so much better seeing him just sitting in the crib and having that, you know, shell or that egg around him. It made more sense. And you can't have the Mandalorian holding him all the time time either because then that just – you're domesticating the Mandalorian way too much. Oh, yeah. And then, like, when when he's being held, you almost have that more sense of attention. Like, especially when Quill was riding with him in in his arms. Yeah. You got more sense of, oh, my God, the child's in danger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So this episode also, Dave, puts Deborah Chow back in the directing chair. And I'm starting to think she needs to direct more episodes. I, I think you said because she's really good. When you look at episode three and episode seven, what do they have in common? Deborah Chow. Deborah Chow. I think she's she's the ingredient. Now I'm not saying she needs to direct every episode, but let's definitely bring her on a little more in the future. Now I don't know if we're going to be able to, perhaps, but this is good news for one particular series and bad news maybe for the Mandalorian. But those people out there, Dave, that may not know this, Deborah Chow is the one in charge of the upcoming Obi-Wan series. Yes, she is. So how does that make you feel, Dave? I'm really excited, especially seeing what what she was able to do with two episodes of Mandalorian. She's got a great eye for tone. A really and, great eye for tone. Yeah, and that's that's half the battle, Dave. When it comes to directing, yes, performances are key. Especially when you're a television director. In fact, that's a lot. A lot of time, that's where your attention is going to be. But, um, but tone, yeah, that is so important. I think also what's going to be key with Deborah Chow too is like 
when you compare episode three to this, the choice of cinematographer that's going to be with her is going to be key because yeah. number th- uh, episode three, the cinematography I-, I would say is better than here because it, episode three, a lot of the cinematography choices still stick in my brain. Is Deborah Chow? Let's get into imp- more important news, Dave. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's something more important. Is Deborah Chow single? <laughs> I'm just wondering. And is she into men? Are are, are you gonna? Do we have a new stalker? I, 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 you know what? Every once in a while, there's a certain type of lady I like. It seems like it's always those uh, the little academic type that are very very good at writing and directing. And um, yeah. I think I'm gonna have to send her some uh, some 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 fan tweet, mail, some tweets, some fan tweets. Like, dear Deborah Chow, I love you. Well, especially since want a date. Like, if yes, ignore if no. Like, if you look at Deborah Chow's <laughs> resume, dude, are we not? Why is it that her name's not put out there even more? I mean, she's she's done work on Better Call Saul, American yeah. Gods. And yeah. uh, uh, iRobot, if I'm not correct. Or Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot. iRobot, what is yeah. she? Not, not iRobot, that's Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> but Mr. Robot. And all three of those series are high quality. Oh, and she did. She also did a Man in High Castle. So she definitely has has been in like high profile projects. And it's amazing that no one... No one really talks about her her name, and she's like starting to gain speed now, especially with Mandalorian. Deborah Chow, married. <laughs> married. Let's see if she's married. Deborah Chow is a Canadian filmmaker. Okay, okay. I like what I see so far. I don't even know what she looks like, and you know what, Dave? It doesn't matter. I'm she, a, she looks pretty good. I'm, I'm a talent sexual. <laughs> talent sexual. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. She began her career directing short films oh, while studying at university. Let's see here. 2010. She's been doing this for a while. Nope. No, uh, no personal information. I think I'm just going to have to figure this out the old fashioned way. It's time to get down to some good old fashioned stocking techniques. Stocking techniques. <laughs> All right. So, Yes. Let's bring it. Let's be more. David, let's be serious. Okay. Like this is a good episode. Enough of, of this nonsense. <laughs> all right. So this episode was also written by the man himself, John Favaro. And the synopsis, an old rival extends an invitation for the Mandalorian to make peace. Okay, Dave. So we also learned, not only did we have some great moments, but we learned a lot as well. That's the type of episodes I like the best. Episodes that not only fulfill your action boner, your lore boner, but also things that push the plot forward. And that's something we've been wanting uh, since episode three. Like, come on, let's move this story forward. Like, yes, I've enjoyed the other episodes for the most part, but we got to move this story forward. And we definitely got that. We also move the story forward when it comes to the origins of the child. We had theorized that the child was a clone. And, you know, we had information. We weren't one of those lunatics that just starts yelling out theories, hoping that they get one right. I mean, it would make sense based on the information we went through in a previous episode. Yeah. But it might be something entirely different. 
Quill had mentioned that the child was unique and then said a bunch of little babble babble that would substantiate his knowledge on the matter. Okay, so I'm assuming, you know, as a way to cleverly tell us that he's not a clone or perhaps it could be misdirection. Perhaps he is a clone. Maybe this was just misdirection. Either way, I'm assuming we will find out very soon. But if he's not a clone, then what were they trying to extract from the child? Was it still midichlorians or is it something less controversial or should I say divisive than metachlorians? What if it's simply DNA so that they can clone oh, him? Yeah. Because we did have the scientists that had the clone patch, the Camino cloning the patch Camino, on his shoulder. Patch, yeah. So perhaps he was just extracting DNA to clone this child later. And it was not metachlorians. I was kind of in favor of going the mystic route and, uh, hoping they were extracting metachlorians so they then can inject it into someone else and give them the ability to, uh, you know, connect with the force, which does what I say it out loud sound pretty fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I started laughing halfway through. It does sound a little stupid, but at the same time, I think it could work. It's on anything. Honestly, when you're dealing with a fantasy sci-fi epic like Star Wars, Anything could work. Anything could work. It's all about execution. Yes. It's all about the execution. And like as crazy as some theories might be out there, all of them have some validity. Some. It it actually, you're, you're not wrong. It actually does end up that way. In fact, we were talking about that on a recent regular broadcast. There seems to be some partial truths to some of these ridiculous theories that we hear. Oh yeah. Uh, And I had just, I have just seen rise of Skywalker. You have not, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but there, there are those theories we've heard for the last two or three years, even all the way back to force awakens. And are they 100% accurate? No, but there are moments where you're like, Oh, there's that theory we heard two or three years ago. There's or moments that, of truth. Or there are partial truths yeah, to some of truth. these leaks that are ex- grossly exaggerated and turn into these, you know, form of tall tales. <laughs> like Luke Skywalker's hand floating in space. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I can't even still say it. <laughs> because I, I, the dude, imagery I'm, I'm, would be so listen, bad. Listen, I'm still, I still believe that was the original plan. <laughs> In fact, wasn't there a script recently released with the hand in it? I believe so. Yeah, I believe yes. So. I, I, that was going to be how it started, Dave. And I bet you JJ got caught wind that it was like um, being made fun of. Not made fun of. Let me find a better word. Mocked. Mocked. <laughs> it was being mocked online that he was like, whoa, prank caller, prank caller. <laughs> This is fake. <laughs> because probably JJ had a whose had idea a moment, was this? A moment of reality when all of a sudden he just goes, "Wait a minute!" His co-writers are like, "JJ, you actually wrote that? Like, well, fire this man! Fire this man! Fire this fire man this immediately! Man. What are you talking about?" <laughs> and, then, and then kill him as he walks outside. <laughs> yeah. So the child is also very powerful, 
and protective of the Mando, which makes all of us that much more drawn to him. I like the moment when he forced choke Dune. <laughs> Dude, you were you started laughing, right? I did. Yeah, I did because I'm like going. I told you, people. <laughs> no, <laughs> Dave, that dangerous. doesn't mean he. Okay, dangerous. Yes, dangerous. <laughs> I do not think he's dark side or anything like that. But yes, I do agree with you. That this could be a way, possibly, of exploring the dangers of an untrained, powerful, powerful force, force user. user. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think, that, I think that's the the one of the narratives that they probably will explore further in Mandalorian is kind of like this child is untrained, and he is obviously very powerful. Yeah, he, the training wheels are off, the and he still needs off. them. <laughs> Although I have to say, I, I I was giggling when he force choked her and then yeah. stopped. And then she said, this is not cool. <laughs> I'm like going, no, it, it's cool. I heard it's that cool. once when I was having sex and I started strangling her. <laughs> She's like, wait a second. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, that's going to be cut. That's a little too dark for this show. <laughs> we, um, I mean, it's a great way. I feel like it's good writing because it's a good way to just build up that connection between the two of them now the child and the mandalorian the fact that the child's watching you know across the ship concerned because you saw his ears go down and he, he's not mad he he was concerned he was concerned he, he was that he was worried that the mando was being hurt was being hurt yeah and that he decided to lash out <laughs> yeah i don't like your choice of words don't ever use mean words and, and attach it to the child let's say defend lash out sounds very mean uh, we also saw that this child can heal that was cool using the powers of the force to repair an injury do you realize i i believe this is the first time we've seen this happen um yeah well it's, it, legends it's the first. legends legends canon, yeah. um i believe caden skywalker uh had 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 the ability to heal, to heal and bring back people that had died but but to actually see it in and like the cinematic side well also or, or the fact that it's being brought into canon yeah uh, now because as we all know at this point all of those extended or expanded universe elements before 2012 have all been retconned. So, so to see it be brought back into canon and use the way they used it, I mean, it says a lot about this, this child. It really yeah. does. Look how powerful this child is. And the fact that he's using, you know, I don't think choking is a light side ability. I mean, correct me if I if I'm it's wrong. <laughs> I know there's arguments to this day that um, Luke Skywalker didn't use the dark side to choke the Gamorrean guards in Jabba's palace, and I'm like, no, I believe he did. I believe he did. And there's a whole argument, Dave, where people believe he did not do that. That he pushed them with the Force, and when he pushed them, they were just grabbing at their chest so they don't fall. And I'm like, what? what? They were that grabbing makes, at their throats. They were grabbing at their throats, and then they died. Yeah. So because it, Luke Skywalker just killed them. Yeah. And I. Yeah. Did, did they <laughs> fall down and die? 
if I'm not correct, yeah, they fell down off off screen. So you can only assume that, yeah, they they died. So that might have been a mistake on Lucas's part, <laughs> because, <laughs> no, it's, it's, because 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 we have found out later that's again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's not a, a light side ability. No, it's not a light side ability. But if you throw into the fact that Luke's bloodline, you know, his heritage. It, Darth Vader's there. And also intimidation factor going into Jabba's palace. Exactly. I think we can give Luke a pass. We can give Luke yeah. a pass because you throw in his heritage and his family's connection to the dark side, then yes, it would make sense. Well, also throw in also throw in Slave Leia and we'll call it a day. <laughs> so stupid. All right. The introduction of the character we've all been waiting for. I know I have. Because I'm a big fan of Giancarlo Esposito. Oh, yeah. And he to is see, an amazing actor. He's terrifying in roles. When, have you he, noticed that? Like, his Breaking Bad. He's scary. He's scary. And he's in this other show called Jet um, with um, Carla Gugino. It's on Cinemax. Really cool TV show. He's one of the main bad guys in that. He, he's a bad guy, good guy. He's a criminal. And he's scary in that show. But his type of his type of scary isn't the n- normal. Can you imagine if he was your father? He's, yeah, he's and he the, just looked at you and like, "Come here, oh, come here, Mijo." You would go get would, the belt. I would pee my pants. But he's so scary. Like he wouldn't even have to pick up the belt to spank you. He would be like, "Pick up the belt and spank yourself." Like you would spank yourself <laughs> because you're terrified of him, which is hilarious because like. Out of out of character, he is one of the coolest guys. And in all his interviews, he's super nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he he's can, super cool. He can yeah. turn it on a dime and be that scary is amazing. Yeah. So very excited to see him finally get to portray Moff Gideon. And we've all been waiting for this since it was announced that he was going to be playing a Moff. And the stakes have risen. And it should. And it should. You're you're dealing with essentially the main villain of at least season one. Yes. So the stakes have risen with his appearance. And this entire episode, Dave, is just miles ahead of everything we've received so far from this show. Solid script. The act breaks felt appropriate. And the score that was paired with the narrative worked so well together it helped to create a tone of danger when Moff Gideon showed up as that TIE fighter was landing behind the troopers. I was, I think I had goosebumps. I was like, holy shit, this is good. Yeah, that entrance he made, especially on that. That's en- a pimp entrance. On that enhanced TIE fighter, because that's not a normal TIE fighter. Oh, you're a nerd. That's an enhanced TIE fighter. I could tell by the uh, side wings. Side wings and everything. The way he makes his entrance, dude, that is the the proper way a villain in Star Wars needs to make his entrance. It's similar to, you know, it's the same vibe as the beginning of Return of the Jedi when the Emperor shows up out of the shuttle. The shuttle lands. He walks out. He has this air of, like, he is a badass. Same thing with Darth Vader. When they're able to do that with characters, that's when it feels like Star Wars with me when, in regards to the villains. Because yeah. villains in Star Wars know how to make an entrance. Yeah. Yes, they do, Dave. 
Now, something you and I have gone back and forth as well when it comes to this show is the Western side. And the fact that you and I are very big fans of Westerns. Yes. Very big fans of Westerns. In fact, my love for the Western might rival. It, it, it probably does. It probably rivals my love for Star Wars. It's that, it, that's how close they are to me in terms of my fandoms and how much I love them. I would, I would agree. Same, uh, I'd be in the same boat as you. So I'm very picky about Westerns, just like I am about my Star Wars. I'm, I'm, I have very strong opinions. And I don't feel like it's a Western just because you tell us it's a Western or you have things like big red arrows pointing, say, hey, guys, this is a Western. Western. Put your hands together. Yeah. This episode is everything I've been wanting from the Western side of things. It was a Western episode because of the motif, the way they had the actors move the way deborah chow chose to capture the scenes it's all about the director too the director needs to understand the western yeah and the way she captured the the scene where the mandalorian quill and dune first landed on the planet uh navarro i believe that's the name of the planet yeah and um carga is that his name carga i always forget his name i believe it's carga yeah carga where carga and his men you know, approach the ship. It, that was straight up once upon a time in the West. I'm so happy you pointed that out because I got the same vibe. I, as soon as you see that, it gives you that vibe of, you know, like uh, Charles Bronson's character just showing up on the train station. I mean, I was expecting Karga to say, you know, you were shy one horse. <laughs> He's all no, you brought two too many. Right. I mean, they had the exact cadence with their exchange and dialogue was there. Deborah Chow is a goddess. <laughs> <laughs> like she just nailed it. That's how you that's how you convey the Western. It's in a style. It's not, hey guys, he's riding on the back of a an alien, whatever that thing is called, a blurg or blurg. A, and it's like a horse. Oh, look, he's going to tame it now and ride off. Oh, look, there's a sunset. Oh, look, he shoots from the hip. That doesn't make it a Western. Yeah. It's all about how you capture it. And Deborah Chow absolutely nailed the Western element in this episode. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, even even the way she captured the the setting of the town, when they go back in and you see all the stormtroopers, the Imperial forces have taken over has that western town type of vibe now where the bad guys oh yeah have taken over like taking in, over the uh, town yeah like in high noon mm-hmm. high noon when the when the bad guys are just waiting for their partner to show up and the the sheriff comes into town trying to save the town and doesn't it's not gonna work yeah and, and like the thing that i was really impressed with i was not bothered this time by actors who were playing uh, the stormtroopers and the no they're good they they're were fine. good and I, I i give props to deborah chow because she was able to get take those actors and tell them i need you to do this i need you to do that that's what a director does and i like seeing the whole the overall just lack of discipline 
how they were leaning on the wall. They were slouching because they're no longer imperial. They're yeah. they're, they're ex empire and they don't have rules and discipline. The moth is probably governing them or lording over them with money and fear. Well, that's why I like that one instance where the where the scout trooper looks at him and, and tells him, "I'll give you twenty bucks, uh, twenty yeah. credits for the helmet." Yeah, and I'm like, like, that shows the lack of discipline now in all the troops. Yeah, you know what? He sucks though, because I would have said, "I'll, I'll give you a hundred credits for the woman, Kara." <laughs> See, that's what a real man would have done. And dude, Kara Doom <laughs> this time. Her acting in this was better, yeah, than her what we saw in her introduction in episode four. No, I agree, and that again goes, goes to the to directing. Goes to the director. It goes to the directing because a director can make even the shittiest of actors look decent, look decent, look passable because they know how to get what they need. They're called adjustments. Anyone that's ever taken a directing class or an acting class has heard of adjustments. When you can't get what you need out of your actor, number one, know what the actor is capable of doing. If they can't do it after one or two takes, chances are they're not able to. Yeah. So what you do is you make an adjustment. And if you tell them to act a way that's maybe not even on uh, technically, maybe that's not even maybe the right motivation for that scene. You know, I have in the past have directed, you know, there were characters that, there was a, a scene that I was directing years ago where I needed this this woman, this character to kind of scrutinize this other person, like really just kind of look him up and down with her eyes, with like disdain and and like um, judgmental. Yeah, very judgmental. Yeah, yes, thanks. And um, she couldn't do it. We did two or three takes. So an adjustment that I made, that's what they're called, is I told her to just look, you see, I said, don't even act. Don't act. Quit acting. You're thinking about it too hard. You see all these little, little buttons on this character's uniform. I want you to look at all his different buttons and just look at them like you're trying to figure them out. And go take every single button all the way till you get to the top of his jacket. And then we're going to roll camera. And she did it, and the performance was fine. That's what good that's directors what are just, able to do. And I'm sure that's what Deborah Chow did with Cara Dune. This is why actors are very picky with who they work with in terms of directing, because they know a good director will always make them look good. A back director could make them lose jobs if they don't shine or if they look shitty. So Deborah Chow earning her paycheck. Absolutely. So I do agree with you. The acting, not just from Cara Dune, all, everyone, everyone, everyone was great. All right, Dave. So this takes us to the scene with IG 11. <laughs> uh, there have been people that were kind of not annoyed, but they were questioning why the writer and director chose to stay so long on the whole IG 11 reprogramming scene. And they used the remaking of the Razor Crest as an example as to why they're doing it. They said, well, the Razor Crest was seemingly rebuilt overnight and they didn't really go into details as to why or how they repaired it. But with the IG-11, they did. And they were using that as a negative. Like, I don't understand why they would do that. It's just a waste of time. 
Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave. So I'm going to rely on your Star Wars nerd knowledge here. Okay. If memory serves me correct, IGs are almost impossible to reprogram, correct? Yes. Does that sound familiar? Because that sounds familiar in, in Legends material. And you got to remember, this is Favaro writing this, and that guy is definitely digging into the Legends box. And same thing with Filoni. Filoni is, is a Legends guru. That guy probably knows more than any man on this planet, probably more than George Lucas. George Lucas doesn't even remember half the things that he makes up or, oh, yeah. or what was in Legends. If I remember correctly, IGs are known for being nearly impossible to reprogram. That's the reason why they're some of the best assassins and killing droids because they cannot be reprogrammed and changed so easily. That being said, I'm also assuming that there is a specific reason in terms of what's going to happen in the next episode. The IG-11 is going to remember his programming when he needs to. Yes. And it's going to kick into gear and rebring in that Legends retconned canon that IGs never truly forget their programming. In fact, I believe um, the Mandalorian had said in the episode that you can't change what's in his nature. So all of that scene has to amount to something in the final episode. And I'm willing to bet that the IG is going to end up saving the day. And then he's going to be a full on member of the team moving into season two. You'd think you think. you think that's going to happen or I do you have other thoughts happen? Well, see, here's the thing. You don't seem entirely sold, Dave. The only problem is because you brought up a good point. Uh, uh, you brought up a good thing about the IGs in the very beginning is the fact they are famous for being super loyal and following their programming. That's why one of the biggest, uh, I always giggled at the, the, when he first got introduced, you know, my manufacturer's detail says that I have to self-destruct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of the coolest things because it's just going like, yeah, IG units are like that. They basically are saying, Hey, uh, my programming tells me this, I'm going to follow it. Yeah. And that's why I'm like going, I think you're, uh, you, you I wouldn't be surprised if you're right. You bring up a good point that the IG unit is the only thing that they did not account for in the end of the episode. You had Quill go down. Quill went down? Damn. <laughs> I don't know if you want him to go down. Ugnots are not very pleasant. Well, <laughs> if he uses that little, uh, never mind. Forget it. That sounds gross. But like. <laughs> That's disgusting. Majority maybe. of the crew has been, has been captured except for the IG. So I think he's going to end up saving the day. I think he, uh, yeah, he is the Trump card. Yeah. Why do you bring him along? You know? And also bring it to the fact that basically during that whole thing, I mean, you, me and you have talked about off air about like that one scene where he's kind of, it looks like the IG unit is trying to remember something like his, his little red eyes keep, going back and back and forth and you're trying you kind of get the sense that his programming's kind of doing something behind the scenes. You realize he's serving tea. Yeah. <laughs> he's all, this is not the life I had envisioned for myself. So, Something's not right. right. I can relate. I go through that every day. I'm like, this is not right. This isn't how things are supposed to be. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to order myself destruction. Oh, stupid. All right. 
a good amount of humor in this episode. Yeah, that's was. that's for sure. And making the humor work for the story. And I think that's key. Rather than having silly humor that takes you out of the story, this was just more natural. It felt conducive with the story. Um, but overall, I mean, we pretty much covered it all, Dave. Let's move into final thoughts. Why don't you start us off and then give me your score? Okay, my score on this one. Okay, final thoughts. As much as, as basically as our viewer, viewer or audience can probably suspect, this episode is very well done. Um, Deborah Child did a fantastic job as directing. The acting was was miles better than like a couple of uh, a couple of the earlier episodes, especially with uh uh oh, I forgot her name now. Uh the uh, the girl who plays uh, Doom. But uh she uh she did Gina a fa- Carano Gina Carano yeah. did a really good job this time around. I thought what they did with her character worked for her character this time around instead of like an her introduction where it goes against her character and it makes her uh, less likable here. She's actually more likable. And I cannot say enough about Warner Herzog and, uh, um, Oh man, I'm buzzing on names. David, what's going on over there, Dave? Do I need to beat you? <laughs> Do I need to be uh, Giancarlo Esposito and just tell you to <laughs> to but, uh, spank yourself? But with uh, yourself, Werner Herzog and Carl Weathers, those are two of my favorite supporting actors. Yeah, they're good in, in this series. Yeah, and especially like uh, he was Carl so Weathers. good. Carl Weathers was so good this week. When the I, I'm assuming the Minoc, I'm assuming that's what they were large was, Minoc. That's why I was going to bring up oh. is like one of the scenes we have not discussed, which was amazing in my opinion because number one, I love campfire scenes when they're done properly, especially when they're lit properly because it looks amazing <laughs> when it's done is that campfire scene and Carl Weathers just acting his chops off was awesome. Yeah. I mean, he still has it and I'm like going, it still baffles my mind that we do not have more projects with Carl Weathers in it. He's good, dude. I I love that part when the Minoc scraped him, and and then the the child, the child goes, heals goes to heal him, and he's all, "What is he going to eat me?" He's gonna eat me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, I was laughing at first, and I'm going, "Yeah, I'd probably react the same way." <laughs> but I love the fact that they took his character and kind of turned it, and it makes me wonder about like. did the child do something more than just heal him? Because. The, now the is this day, you speaking or is this those weird Reddit posts? No, 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 no. This is me speaking because okay. I, I've, I've decided to stay away from Reddit and all that from now on. But like the only reason why I say is the next, the following day, he seems totally changed after what he's experienced. Possibly. I'm not going to, I mean, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but. I don't know. I kind of got more the idea that he just had a change of heart because why would he? Because you know, the child turn saved his, him. Yeah, turn his. Yeah, why? Why would he turn on them after the child essentially saved, saved his, his life? life? And he's not a piece of shit. He obviously has a sense of honor, like the Mandalorian. There's a certain amount of 
There's a, a, code, a code he lives by. And that's true because that's the one thing he keeps repeating about is the code. Yeah. Whether it's the code of the guild or the code of Mandalorians. But so acting, acting in this episode was top notch. And it still amazes me to this point. We have not seen Pedro Pascal's face, but he still rocks it as the Mandalorian. Like we're going to see it next week. I don't know. Do you think? Yeah, I think um, the Moff is going to take his helmet off as a way to kind of demoralize him. It would go. It would. It would do wonders for the Moff Moff's character as a villain, because to take the one thing that the Mandalorian takes super pride about. Yeah. But like Pedro Pascal has done amazing work as the Mandalorian without yeah. showing his face. I agree. And the writing in this. We since the very beginning, we've actually been very critical about John Favreau's writing, but this yeah. episode, he turned it around well, like amazingly. You know, we're, we're looking at the sixth episode or the seventh episode. Yes, I have to assume the other people involved in television have gotten a hold of him at this point and has and have helped him understand the nuances and the beats that are necessary for television. television. Yeah. So my final score I mean, for. Or go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. My final score for for Mandalorian is a ninety five. I can't find anything else wrong with this episode that would lower it under a ninety five. Okay, that's a fair grade. Without going into too much repetitive banter, I'm just gonna say I obviously enjoyed the episode. For all the reasons we had just gone through. And I'm going to give this an RMD score of 91%. It's definitely the best episode of the season. And it gives me high hopes for the season finale. But not just the season finale. But also what we could see in the future. During season 2 and season 3 and so on. Also has now given me more hope in the Obi-Wan series. Yes, because of Deborah Chow. Deborah Chow. Your new crush. Yeah. And um, this concludes our discussion on this episode of The Mandalorian, Episode 7, Chapter 7, The Reckoning. Now, we will be away a little longer than normal because of the odd release schedule on the holidays. We are taking a an extended break. Uh, typically, the network is off the air during the winter season or life uh, for almost two months. So we technically will not be back to February 17th. But we will return when we're back in town. Uh, January. Let's see here. January. 5th. So you should expect an episode discussion on the season finale to be released January 6th. So it'll be about almost two weeks delayed because of the holiday. And then we'll be back on that train starting February. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please leave us reviews. Have a very happy, happy holiday. Enjoy the Rise of Skywalker review as well. Yes, we are dating this discussion, and that's just fine. Uh, You can find that on the feed. Just search Star Wars from the Back to Tank if you found us via our website. Thank you, David. Thank you. May the Force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 